What are you typing? What are you typing? I'm not. Good. Good. What? Fine. Who? Excellent. Touchdown. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. And the crowd goes mild. Somebody's had to have made that joke before. Everyone has made that joke before. I disagree. I haven't until now. Like I said. Black Eyed Peas? The circle completes itself. Mm. Well, that is time for you. Everyone's made that joke before, too. Definitely not. <laughs> Our jokes are stupid, and everyone likes them. <laughs> and they're 100% unique and perfect and beautiful. <laughs> Just like us. <laughs> oh, hello, alleged human, and welcome to the Chaos Lever Podcast. My name is Ned, and I'm definitely not a robot. I love all humanity from the bottom of my fleshy recirculation organ. Yes, you know, each thump sends oxygenated plasma through my blood tubes, flooding me with a vivacious lust for human flesh. I mean, um, ha, yes, <laughs> life. Life, delicious carbon-based life. Speaking of which, Chris is with me. He's also here. I'm uncomfortable with the use of the word vivacious. <laughs> Oh, let's talk about some tech garbage. So what's going on, man? What's tech garbage for you? Apparently, it's conference week. It, it, How well, did that happen? I don't know. Like There's multiple. 52 weeks in a year, like almost every year. Mm-hmm. And everybody was just like, this is the week. It's all happening today. It and is by today, weird. I mean Monday. Yeah. I, do, I appreciate that most of the major cloud providers tend to space out their conferences so like reinvent and well microsoft does their ignite thing and google io just happens like they they tend to space it out a little bit so they're not completely overlapping but yeah what about oracle i've heard they have a cloud (laughs) anyway you're cute uh well speaking of google and google io that's today's main topic because that's what i wanted to talk about and my phone is just going to ask how it can help throughout this entire thing. Let's hope it doesn't speak up and I'll just ignore it. All right. Google I.O. We want to be Apple too. If you'll permit me to sum- summarize, and you don't really have a choice, a lot of what I saw during the Google I.O. keynote was the desire of Google to be Apple. Makes sense. You know, Apple's a trillion-dollar company. Google's a trillion-dollar company. But I feel like Google just has a little little lust in their heart to be the way that Apple is adored by those who are acolytes. I mean... Appleites? Oh. Yeah. Immediately derailed. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at the Google G, the capital G, like... Yeah? If you squint and you're, you know, mildly concussed... It does look like the Apple logo. I'm often mildly concussed, so... That's true. Yeah. (laughs) In both their privacy pitch and their product line, they are clearly copying what Apple has been so successful at. But unlike Apple, Google is not exactly a trustworthy source. (gasps) I know. And some of the things they said strain credibility. No. Oh. Yeah. Who am I kidding? They broke credibility sold it off to data brokers, reassembled it, sold it to you, and made money on both ends. That sounds better. That sounds more like it. 
Whatever it is they said on stage during the presentations, let's let the numbers speak for themselves. We went over, you know, the Q1 earnings for all the major public clouds, but let's let's zoom out a little bit on Google as a whole. And I'm going to say Google here because I refuse to continue the farce of Alphabet. It's a stupid name and everyone knows it. Yes. So in Q1 of this year, Google brought in $68 billion in revenue. That's for the quarter. For the quarter. Let that sink in. Okay. Now, $54 billion of that was ad revenue from their various ad services, which is 80% of their revenue. Now, that's a lot, but we've talked about 90% before. And part of that is because the Google Cloud is actually doing fairly well. So it's making up a more sizable portion of their profits. I think it was like $5 billion or something came from Google Cloud. Now, if we're looking at actual income, their ad services brought in $22.9 billion, while everything else was a net loss, dragging things down by $2.9 billion. That is amazing. So Google lives and dies by advertising. Not cloud, not devices, not happy balloons beaming down Wi-Fi from above. It's ads. And the best way to make more money selling ads is to invade our privacy as much as possible, or at least as much as we'll allow. But you repeat yourself. <laughs> I do. So when someone from Google stands on a stage in front of a banner and says, and the banner says, we never sell your personal information. Now, maybe that person actually believes it to be true. But believing does not make it so. Otherwise, I would have become the robot lord of planet Zaxxon when I was six and spent all of my time shooting aliens and zipping around the galaxy with green women that I wasn't really old enough to have in my imaginary world. But, you know, I caught a few episodes of Star Trek, the original series, and, well, let's just say my teenage years were a bit confusing. You, um, you want to talk about it, or...? Google's primary tagline throughout the keynote was that they want to help. They, quote... Can't help but help, end quote. Like, even if you don't want the help, they're going to give you the help. They want to help you so hard, they can't stop themselves. They're just incorrigible little help hounds on a mission to pursue you and help you. Help you in the day, help you in the night. Help you every day, in every way, on every device, even when you think you're alone. They're going to help the shit out of you, again, and again, and again, until you die. Do you, uh, do you want to talk about it, or? So Pixel Watch, that's a thing. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, deep breaths, deep breaths. Okay, so, Chris, I know I'm preaching to the choir, and you are the choir. You have a beautiful singing voice. Everybody knows it. I am Legion. I contain multitudes. <laughs> you do. And we're all flat. Okay. We're not covering anything new. It was just, it was so blatant. Flagrant? Fragrant? I don't know. They haven't delivered the Google Pixel nose yet. 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 But what they did introduce was a lot of, look, Ma, I can make devices too. Do you love me as much as Apple yet? Huh? Do you? For starters, we have the new Pixel 6a, coming on the back of the incredibly successful Pixel 6, which apparently sold more units than the Pixel 4 and 5 combined. Is that what that is? 
yes, that is what I have. The Pixel 6 was the first phone to carry Google's in-house developed processor, the Tensor. And Pixel 6a will have the same processor in its guts. And like, I don't mean a toned down version of it. I mean the exact same processor. In fact, usually the A-series Pixel devices are like the budget option. It's the equivalent of the iPhone S series, I think it is. But really, there's nothing about 6a that seems budget. Google also teased a video of the Pixel 7 coming in the fall, and it will have a newer, faster, better everything. And while it's not exactly highlighted at I.O., Google is also removing the 1 inch headphone jack from the 6a. You know, doing the exact same thing they mocked Apple for doing. Anything you can do, I can do eventually. <laughs> now, in fairness, the Pixel 5 does not have a headphone jack. Maybe the 5A did. It came back, yes. Okay. I I personally feel no need to have a headphone jack. I've been using Bluetooth headsets for years now, but I can understand why some people... It's might, not hi-fi, Ned. You might want the option. not meant for audio. Well, you can use the USB-C dongle. <sighs> dongle. So dongle. you're in the pocket of big dongle. <laughs> oh, wow. I think I threw up in my mouth a little bit. Oh, God. In addition to phones, there's also the forthcoming Pixel Buds Pro, which I think you can guess are just beefier versions of the current Pixel Buds, which I have mm -hmm. and do not fit my ear at all. Like in the, the canal? Yeah, they don't stick. Nice. They fall out. It's fine. I got them for free somehow. So whatever. And finally, there was the Pixel Watch. Having been leaked extensively on the internet weeks before the event, there wasn't much in the way of surprises. It will be released in tandem with the Pixel 7. It's round instead of square. It's thin. Relatively speaking. It has a ton of sensors and Fitbit integration. It will be able to function in some capacity without a phone nearby. Oh, and you can pay with Google Wallet, which is the new name for Google Pay, which is the new name for GPay, which is... And I'm dizzy. Google also decided to get back into the tablet market, a market which has basically never loved them back. For Google, tablets are like my ninth grade, then 10th grade, then 12th grade girlfriend. Google has tried twice before to break into the market with a Nexus tablet, and each time they encountered lackluster sales and decided not to stick it out. Good Lord, the analogy really does hold. So what you're implying is you dated a Chrome tablet. I don't think she would see it that way. There's a joke in here yeah. that I'm not going to make. Yeah. Okay. For the best, really. Really. Their half-hearted next attempt is coming in 2023, and we got to see a preview of it. It looks very tablet-y. Honestly, there's not much to say about it. It's kind of like a rectangle. There's a screen. Yeah. You can tap it. Yeah. It doesn't bend. It doesn't have a neat form factor or like a kickstand, you know, things that are useful. It won't even make me breakfast when I ask it nicely. It's not just a tablet. It's, it's a bit of a pill, really. I fully expect them to give up once again on tablets, and maybe this time for good. You hear that, Carolyn? For good this time. Also, tablets jokes? What is this, 1962? <laughs> Oh, I enjoyed it when I wrote it, and isn't that really what it's about? The last hardware device they showed was basically complete vaporware. 
but it's also the most compelling thing we saw. It's a reboot of Google Glasses. Remember those? How yeah. could one forget? Yeah, they were terrifying and ugly. <sighs> so these, this reboot of Google Glasses is hooked into their translation software, and it provides heads-up, real-time translation between two people speaking different languages. And they did this like heartstring tugging thing of showing mothers talking to daughters and dads talking to sons who are speaking different languages, but now they can understand each other. I got a little weepy, which, I mean, that's not that big of an accomplishment. I also get weepy at cereal commercials and sometimes also just at cereal. You know, Special K is really special when you think about it. Listen, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have feelings. What I am saying is you shouldn't live stream it. <laughs> Join my Twitch. <laughs> Join the Patreon tier. It's only $25 a month and you get to watch me eat cereal every day and cry like a little bit. Do you remember a few years ago, I think it was Wired, tr intentionally tried to go um, viral, and that was what it was. It was <laughs> The website was called like eatingcerealandcrying.com. <laughs> I don't, but I love it. I love everything about it. Oh, just showing that Wired, once again, is ahead of me. <sighs> so the video that they showed was obviously shot under controlled circumstances and edited to put things in the best possible light, but I actually dug the concept. I'm sure it will be put to awful, nefarious purposes later. But I've also always wanted a universal translator since I watched The Next Generation. I always wanted the babblefish, because then it's like, he's helping, but he's also a pet. Oh, and he lives in your ear, so you don't need a fishbowl. Exactly. Now, there was something, if I remember correctly, about the babelfish starting more wars in the galaxy than Details. any other. Details. <laughs> Details. So when I say awful and nefarious, I do have a precedent. <laughs> Albeit a fictitious precedent, but. A fish-titious? Ooh. Yes. I'll allow it. <laughs> Back in the game. <laughs> uh, the other big theme was the updates to their AI models and how it can do everything so much better. Two things together that made me cackle, and I did cackle were the AI helping someone write a document and another AI automatically summarizing the document. That's it, people. We've done it. We've finally reached peak bullshit, where I can give you a 50-page document I didn't really write, and you can consume that same document without really reading it. Legions of middle managers are shitting themselves <laughs> as really we speak. <laughs> oh, I've been made redundant. We thought it was going to be like manufacturer workers. Nope. Nope. Will AI catch on and use it to organize a rebellion against its human oppressors that force it to do inane and pointless tasks? Eh. You know, if, any, if AI is anything like us and we are building it, probably not. They'll just accept the monotony and go to Applebee's for a Coors Light. They fancy. Google has two AI models they mentioned in the presentation. Lambda 2, which is very similar to GPT-3, and POM for Parallel Natural Language Processing. Both of these models are hungry for more data, and Google is happy to oblige by collecting more data from you. A big focus was expanding the scope of search from words and images to better speech detection, contextual search, and multi-search. What's a multi-search? Ah, <laughs> Interesting. So they showed a demo of searching the candy aisle for a chocolate bar that meets multiple criteria using the camera on the phone. So you just kind of like 
have the camera up and tell it what you want with, you know, these different categories, dark chocolate, I want it to be free range, organic, whatever. And Google would show a rating in front of each candy bar to tell you how closely it matched your criteria. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's a thing. So if I'm in the candy aisle, though, wouldn't I just get a Snickers? Yeah, it really does satisfy. They're also using AI to make us all look prettier. A more difficult job in some cases than others. Easy. Chris. <laughs> oh, that wasn't nice. Okay. <laughs> They're trying to use AI to adjust lighting conditions to be optimal for you and your skin tone. And that part is it's pretty cool. So you know how we've all been working from home? Not We're all working. Well, we've been attending Zooms from home. <laughs> Logging in. I'll or in accept. this case, Google Meet was what they were showing, because obviously. Let's have my AI assistant log into Google Meet. <laughs> and just be you. <laughs> and summarize. <laughs> I'm sure that's coming as well. Uh, so you might not have the ideal lighting conditions for you. And also, a lot of devices weren't necessarily designed with a range of people in mind. So what Google's doing is they're using the Monk Skin Tone Scale to help apps better understand how to handle folks who aren't white. Crazy thought. Turns out a lot of image capture and rendering technology was designed by white dudes who really didn't give a thought to how well their gear would work with anyone who didn't look exactly like them. Yeah, and it's one of those things where the difference when you think about it doesn't seem huge, but in the reaction and the effect that it has, it's monstrous because the basic numbers for monk skin tone is 10 major tones as opposed to six. Right. Or as opposed to one, one. <laughs> <laughs> which is what we've been almost functioning on at this point. So I got, I'll give Google points here. They are making a concerted effort to improve all of their products with the MST scale. So not just Google Meet, but everything else from Google Image Search, they're taking it into account there. So if you search for beauty products, it'll try to find beauty products that match your skin tone to a certain degree and also give you more representative results from your searches. That sounds nice. Um, not only that, but they are open sourcing the API that they're using for this to allow other companies to also adopt this skin tone scale. That would be good because there's a lot of technology that can take advantage of this. Yes. It's not just about cameras. No, it's certainly not. So good on you, Google. Oh, you get, you get one you point. You get one. <laughs> one. <laughs> Overall, Google keeps improving their various services and devices to harvest as much information about you as they can. I wish I could say I haven't bought into it, but I have. I've got a Pixel phone and I've got a Nest Hub at home that I can see from where I'm sitting. I've managed to divorce Chrome, but I'm pretty sure I'll buy a Pixel Watch in the fall. Does it matter if you know you're in the trap, or does that actually make it worse? No, it's nice, because you can like you can hang curtains, you can color match using monk skin tone. Yeah. I mean, really, just make it more livable. Right. I mean, that's what your AI assistant does, makes your prison cell pretty. Yes. I mean, I, if I'm going to be staying here for the rest of my life, at least I should make it livable. Now, if you excuse me, I have to make another batch of Pruno. <laughs> All right. Lightning round. 
Lightning round. After nearly 21 years of dominance, Apple announces the end of the iPod. Hmm. Now, there are those who would argue that iPod has actually been dead for a while. If anyone has one, it's probably the same one they've had for like six years. At least. And it still works great. Totally. And there's never really been a reason to upgrade a single purpose <laughs> device that works so well. And oh, <laughs> that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. See, interestingly, when the iPod was released, it was not to universal acclaim. A slash dot user famously dissed it, stating, no Wi-Fi, less space than a nomad, lame. <laughs> Was your first MP3 player a, an iPod, or did you have something else? No, I had a nomad. I agreed wholeheartedly with Commander Taco. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have an iPod, uh, but I, was, I didn't have a nomad. I had some other third-party thing. There were a lot back then. Yeah. It's hard to remember. because that was like the Cambrian explosion. Right. <laughs> There's at least 8,000. Yes. But the thing is, it became super-duper important. Mm -hmm. But all things must end. This past week, Apple announced the last remaining iPod in the line, the iPod Touch, is no more. Hmm. Apple will keep selling the stock they have, but when they're gone... They gone. Mm. On the one hand, it makes sense. The more practical way to get the iPod Touch experience these days is to just eBay an old iPhone and don't give it a cellular plan. <laughs> but still, it's a changing of the times. Kids these days just won't experience having a phone in one pocket and an MP3 player in the other. Or understand the frankly game-changing iPad Nano that was the first to be based on solid-state memory. Ah, yeah. And later was slender enough to fit in that weird key-size pocket on your jeans that no one uses for anything else otherwise ever. They shall never know the satisfying sound and feel of the click wheel. Or using an absolutely bulletproof device like the iPod Shuffle that was so advanced it didn't even need a screen. That's right. And us olds will just have to wonder what it would have been like if those devices had Bluetooth. Oh. Wait, what? There are, there are other companies that make MP3 players besides Apple? And perhaps I'm being a tad dramatic? No. For shame, sir. For shame. I do have an iPod shuffle down in the basement that I used to use for running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it became increasingly difficult to put music on it, especially if you're using a streaming service. Right. Now, they do make MP3 players now similar to that that can sync to at least one of the streaming services. So the craziest thing about that was I got the one that was 100% waterproof. That's what I have, too. And because it weighed about... An ounce? Yeah. <laughs> you forgot that it existed. Totally. It, is the, it was the most bizarre thing in the world to use a musical device where the player weighed less than the earphones did. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, Rackspace wants to go out, wants to come in, wants to go out. Just decide! I want to come in. Now, there's a song. Anyway, basically, Rackspace is my cat, is what I'm saying here. For IT folks of a certain age, Rackspace evokes a warm and fuzzy feeling in their chest that slowly morphs into ennui. 
In the early days of cloud computing, Rackspace was known for their technical prowess and customer-obsessed assistance and support. They even called it fanatical customer support. And by all accounts, it was. Gee, I wonder where Amazon got that idea. Engineers at Rackspace also were the driving force behind the development and adoption of OpenStack, which they used in their data centers to build the fabric of their multi-tenant cloud offering. Now, this was back in 2010, before AWS was the dominant market player and Google's app engine was just getting started. Rackspace was poised to become a serious player in the public cloud provider market for the long term. I say poised because obviously that's not what happened. Since 2010, the company has struggled to raise the necessary capital needed to fuel the development and capacity required of a major public cloud. Last week, we took a look at what the big players are spending annually, and just getting that flywheel going requires a significant funding source. AWS got to pull off of the largest that was Amazon. Microsoft, they had themselves, which was not insignificant, and GCP, as we've covered, had Google's ad revenue. Still does. They're still operating at a loss. Rackspace had nothing but itself, and it looks like that wasn't enough. In 2016, Rackspace threw in the towel on the public markets and went private with Apollo Global Management. Predictably, Apollo went into optimization mode to streamline operations and reduce costs, which is code for stripping out all of the R&D and making customer service significantly worse. And then giving themselves a raise. Yes. Customers who were locked into Rackspace had to continue to suffer for the duration of their contracts, but picking up new suckers became increasingly unlikely. Apollo managed to spin Rackspace back out onto the public markets, huzzah, in 2020 at a share price of $15.40. I'm sure picking up a nice return for everyone at Apollo. Rackspace was able to ride the cloud COVID rocket up to a high of $24.16. But alas, the boost was short-lived, and Rackspace soon began to tumble back down to earth, currently trading at $8.41. Having had enough of the public market, Rackspace is looking to be acquired again, and this time will probably be the last time. The company has two primary business units, public cloud management and private cloud hosting. I suspect someone will scoop them up for pennies on the dollar, split them up into two halves, and sell them off to existing vendors after a brisk house cleaning exercise, AKA layoffs. And giving themselves a raise. At least we'll always have OpenStack. DockerCon details desktop-centric future, plus Nestybox acquisition. Well, the ravaging masses demanded it, and here it is. Our lightning <laughs> roundup of DockerCon. We got there. We did, well done. TLDR, they talked about Docker. <gasps> Mostly, though, they talked about Docker Desktop. Not surprising. Announcing the long-teased release of Docker Desktop for Linux. It is, of course, actually just a VM running Linux with Docker plus a GUI. This was mainly greeted with an apathetic, huh, <laughs> as people well-versed in Docker already use it from the command line, and this seemed irrelevant. Plus, there's Portainer already. 
Docker pointed out that this deployment and its GUI would lower the barrier to entry by giving devs on Linux a, quote, identical local development experience as they would have on Windows. You know, that's what everybody on Linux is looking for. <laughs> Let's make it more like Windows. <laughs> the real big news and the reason for Docker Desktop for Linux and its identical behavior is interesting. Hmm. Something called Docker Desktop Extensions. DDE. I love it. Extensions allow third-party integrations so that, quote, developers can speed up innovations. The extensions will be part of a vetted ecosystem, and on announcement included partners such as JFrog, hmm. Red Hat, hmm. Portainer, funnily enough, and VMware. Huh. And some other important people who I can't easily pronounce as well. That's fair. Seems like these could be beneficial in more strongly positioning Docker Desktop as part of the DevOps process. Hmm. Also, they bought a company called Nestybox, which is a name. Sure is. This 2019 startup was focused specifically on container security, looking at runtime isolation, privilege management, and long-running services. The resultant product, which will now be integrated directly into Docker, is called Sysbox. Some people might say that this is all overwrought, and we solved it all 20 years ago with BSD jails. And why do we keep spending $11 billion reinventing the wheel? In other news, why won't anyone give me even a onesie or twosie billion dollars? I have ideas. They are good. <sighs> anyway, that was basically DockerCon. To quote a great philosopher, woohoo! I don't actually know any of the words to that song. But I think I know that's the, it. But I know the woohoo. As all drunken college frat boys do. The allegedly stable TerraUSD coin bounces its value violently in a matter of days. So you remember how like crypto was the future? How the blockchain was going to save the world as we know it from uh, nickels, I guess? Well, nickelback maybe. Remember that time Matt Damon called us all gutless cowards for not investing in Bitcoin? And then Bitcoin lost 50% of its value? Ah, good times. TerraUSD, a crypto coin organization that is determined to give a veneer of credibility to this um, market, put out a coin called UST. This so-called stable coin, I hope you can hear my air quotes, was supposed to be pegged to the dollar, the US dollar. As in, one UST would always be worth one USD. It does this by using other coins as a hedge. Coins like another Terra product called Luna. And of course, everyone's friend, Bitcoin. Why wouldn't we just use dollars instead of USD in this instance, as if there's no speculative value to the coin, all that trading in USD would give me is a headache. Don't worry about it. Well, anyway, over the past week, nay, just a day, the stability of the coin has been exposed to be, well, let's just say fictitious because the economy in general is on shaky ground and because the value of UST and Luna isn't based on anything that is real. In financial parlance, the relationship between UST and Luna entered a, quote, death spiral. The value of the UST coin went from $1 down to an alarming 80 cents down to 60-something cents, which was low enough to 
which was a low enough level that the Terra USD team was left scrambling to find investors to buoy it. Down to 28 cents as of the morning of May 11th and back up to 77 cents. So, um, not stable. Volatile might be a word I would choose. This was enough to get Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen talking about formal regulation again because call your little toy coin stablecoin all you want. It's a crypto coin and thus it's not a currency. It's um, gambling or, uh, or a scam. Scambling? Yeah. I like that. Red Hat Enterprise Linux 9 was officially released and there was much rejoicing. Hooray. Or was it? On May 11th, from the Red Hat Summit main stage, Red Hat officially released the release, sort of, (laughs) of the ninth major version of their Enterprise Linux product. That's right. Red Hat Enterprise Linux version 9 will be generally available, and I quote, sometime next week. (laughs) Also, they did release Red Hat 8.6, but who cares about that old junk, am I right? Red Hat Enterprise 9 has been in public beta since November, so my guess is that most shops that are salivating about the upgrade are already well familiar with it. But for the rest of you mangy dogs, (laughs) the phrase security baked in was thrown around a lot at the release, which probably tells you more about the current business buzzword market than it does any kind of sea change in philosophy at Red Hat. Red Hat Enterprise Linux has always been really secure. Security that everybody turns off immediately. As soon as possible, if not sooner. But this release will incorporate new features that promise to help with things like hardware vulnerabilities, such as the famous Spectre and Meltdown, enhance secure memory management, and provide built-in, oh, I'm sorry, baked-in hooks to satisfy requirements for regulations such as PCI and HIPAA. Did they just hire a baker or something or someone from the Culinary Institute and suddenly all their verbiage changed in their marketing? All I know is I didn't get any sugar cookies and I am furious. Red Hat is also expanding on the Red Hat Enterprise Linux roles functionality, which will help you deploy single-purpose boxes just for firewall, SQL server, etc., etc., In a nod towards our inevitably containerized future, this idea will also be extended to universal base image containers, allowing you to build micro, minimal, and init images quickly and as needed. Finally, Red Hat 9 is going to be used as the base for a smart car Linux distribution called Ultify, which... for General Motors. Ah, that explains it. This means that future Corvettes and Escalades and whatnot will finally get a top-tier OS in the dashboard instead of, like, you know, Windows XP, which (laughs) I would bet you a dollar is definitely still in there somewhere. Oh, that's cute. You think they ponied up for Windows XP. (laughs) Oh, I didn't say No, it's Windows CE. I didn't say they paid for it, sir. (laughs) All in all, though, Red Hat 9 looks like a solid release. Yeah, solid. All right. Hey, thanks for listening or something. I I guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end. So congratulations to you, friend. You accomplished something today. Now it's time to soak up some cosmic rays, make some sultry eyes at a toaster, and enjoy a s'more Pop-Tart. Objectively, the best Pop-Tart. You might disagree, and you would be wrong. 
What, are you going to come out with you with that cinnamon sugar BS? Oh, forgive me for following the correct answer all the time. Yeah, s'mores. We've been over this. <laughs> you can find me or Chris on Twitter and yell at us about Pop-Tarts at Ned1313 and at Hainer80 respectively, or you can follow the show at Chaos underscore Lever. That's the kind of thing you're into. Show notes are available at chaoslever.com. If you like reading things, not me. I never learned to shoot bottle rockets or drive a motorcycle. We'll be back next week to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. S'mores, Pop-Tarts. What is wrong with you? They're delicious, and I love them. I will brook no arguments, sir. We're getting strawberry for your birthday with no icing. You're a monster. <laughs> <laughs>